0: All right,
1: somehow I bumped that button. So he said he'd certainly pray, but he said, don't worry, they'll be okay. But he said, the only thing worse than discovering that you have an awful sermon before you get up to preach is discovering it it's, is discovering that it's bad during the sermon. So you've been warned. Um, another tie to Colorado... Um, When we lived there, and this was from five years ago, I used to get this ancient form of communication called a newspaper delivered to my house on the weekends. And, uh, you know, this is a a piece that I actually cut out of this ancient transcript. And, um, you know, I, I know that most of us get the news, and even back then I got news from the radio and television and from my phone, But there was local news in the local newspaper that I wouldn't get otherwise, and so I always enjoyed on the weekends kind of finding out what I might have missed in the local community. And on Sundays, there was always a section where they printed another ancient form of communication or entertainment, if you will. It was an advice column. And uh, some of you older folks would remember probably the pioneer named Ann Landers, and People would write into Ann Landers and ask for advice on weighty subjects, as which way is the toilet paper supposed to go on the roll, and all kinds of crazy things, and even some deep subjects and some troubling things. Um, I believe it was the next generation, or her sister, dear Abby, became the next step in that, and then there was dear Amy, that I think maybe was a daughter of Abby, so Anne's niece. So she carried this advice column mantle, and the reason I tell you all that is, I don't know why, but this particular Sunday, it was Sunday, August 14th. In 2016, I read this advice column. Something drew me to it. I used to look at it from time to time for entertainment, but there was something very troubling that I read and I want to read this this letter to you. It says, "Dear Amy, I recently went to a memorial service at a large modern Christian church. The deceased had owned a large company that employed many people of a Christian background, as well as Jews, Muslims, and people of no particular religious persuasion." The minister went on and on about how the dead man was saved because he was a Christian, saying that Christianity was the true religion, and if you did not subscribe to his belief system, you would not be saved. I found this very offensive. One man actually walked out in disgust. The last funeral I went to was like this too. We went to this service to give our respects to the dead, not to be told we were going to hell. Could you please tell ministers that funerals have many people that do not share their particular beliefs, and we would prefer not to be insulted. Signed, insulted. Amy responded, dear insulted, at a Christian funeral you can expect to hear Christian scripture as well as talk of heaven, hell, and being saved. In parentheses, she says there is a difference between being offered salvation and being consigned to hell. What you should not hear are admonitions that those of different faiths are going to hell. I hope clergy are paying attention. I'm sure you've got a lot of thoughts that are generated by this. And um, I actually used this article in a class, a discussion about faith, and just invited some discussion and, and asked that, you know, maybe how would you respond? And I want to ask you a few questions to consider later. Number one, how did you feel when you first heard that Jesus is the only way to God? And how has your your perspective changed since then? Let me lay out some facts. Let me just lay it out there right now that Jesus spoke with audacity when he said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have these questions at hand. Why is Jesus the only way to God? And how dare we teach this? So again, Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Peter, standing before the Sanhedrin, said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he said, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Jewish leaders were furious at this talk. And why? Partly because no one had ever claimed that they were God. No one had ever claimed what amounted to equal stature with God before. The audacity, the arrogance of this Jesus was just intolerable. Let me lay out a few challenges. There are many Christians that believe that the Jewish nation is still a chosen nation. There's a dual relationship somehow here. And if that's true, why was Jesus even preached to the Jews? But can you accept the Bible and reject Jesus? Jesus said that I'm the only way. Yet the reality is that practicing Jews deny that Jesus is the Son of God. Are all religions the same? The idea of being that God is the focus... So what does it matter? Let me submit to you some key differences. I want to say first that we can all be wrong, but we can't all be right. Let me lay out a few differences from different religions. First of all, you cannot have Christianity without Christ. Matthew 16 and verse 18 The person of Jesus is at the very core. And this rock that Jesus refers to in Matthew 16 and 18 was this confession that Peter made in the verse prior. Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one, the very Son of God. Jesus taught that our good behavior doesn't save us. Rather, God's grace provides the path to salvation. So it is our response to that grace that is critical. The path we choose once we're aware of this incredible gift is critical. Peter, once again, very familiar verse, lays it out very plainly. Not only how critical it is, but what is the proper response once we've become aware of this incredible grace. You don't pay for a gift. You receive it in gratitude. Jesus made a claim that no other so-called founder of a religious movement did. Buddha didn't claim to be a god. Muhammad did not claim to be God. Joseph Smith never claimed to be God. And so on. Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God, were fighting words. Believe it or not, our Supreme Court defined fighting words in 1972. Personally abusive epithets that are inherently likely to provoke violent action. Fighting words. They strike deep inside by attacking one's most cherished beliefs. And they dare a response. The world's response to Jesus' claim is that Christians are intolerant. What the world says is that truly enlightened people are tolerant. Only good people are open-minded to alternative truths. No fact is universal or true at all times. That's what the world says. Let me sidetrack slightly by asking the question, do you think that the Jewish nation were the only ones exposed to the worship of foreign gods? Today, there are at least 300 plus gods worshipped around the world, and and frankly, probably closer to 3,000. Is it any wonder that the first and greatest commandment was to place no other gods before the great I am? This term disinformation has become a buzzword over the last several years, so let me share some disinformation. Christians are not the only ones who claim exclusivity in a path to God. Muslims say the Quran is the only authority. It's only written in Arabic. Buddhism rejected Hinduism because of two major assertions. And we won't get into those because this isn't a study of Hinduism. But it's a truth. Sikhism came about as a challenge to Buddhism and Hinduism highism excludes the exclusionists due to a cosmic embrace of all religions frankly atheism if you would call it a religion just rejects the notion of god altogether disinformation let's look at truth as we consider dis- disinformation about christians having lock on exclusivity. It's just going to be hard to follow when I say it. Try to follow me here. If truth does not exclude, then there's no assertion of truth even being made. Let me repeat that. If truth does not exclude, then there is no assertion of truth even being made. Making a claim of truth by nature excludes its opposite, because anything contrary is false. Isn't it interesting that to deny the exclusive nature of truth is akin to making a truth claim? Is it not? In other words, saying that that's not true is a truth of its own. Isn't this intolerant as well?
0: Not inclusive? Here's the truth.
1: Jesus saying that He is the truth means that anyone or anything that contradicts Him is false. As Christians, do we communicate this truth Without being smug or coming off as if we were deliberately using fighting words, how do we communicate? There's a proverb that comes from India that says, Once you've cut off a person's nose, there's no point in giving them a rose to smell. Let's face it, Christian history is not flattering. But where do you go in the world today that Christians are murdering people for their beliefs, let alone being canceled? That can't be said of other religions. Hurting someone's feelings or disagreeing with their so-called truth should hardly be placed on equal stature to murder. But that's where we've arrived as a society. But take heart, Jesus lived a perfect life, and he brought a message of love, and he was
0: murdered for it. There are some people
1: that will react badly to truth regardless of how it's delivered. We cannot shy away from speaking the truth. The Apostle Paul and other New Testament writers plainly warned us that we would suffer persecution, Jesus made it clear as well. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Jesus offered assurance for those being persecuted because of him. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
0: There are four fundamental questions every
1: religion seeks to answer. The question of origin, where did we come from? The meaning of life, what is it? Morality, what's the source and the basis of morality? And finally, our destiny, what if anything comes after life on earth? The interesting thing is there's a cohesiveness to Jesus' answers to these questions. No other religion offers this. Hinduism says that every birth is a rebirth and that your life, your new life, pays for the old one. So what did you have to pay for in your first birth? Or was there even a first birth? doesn't answer the question of origin at the very least. Buddhism says there is no creator, which doesn't really deal with the question of origin or the source of morality. Christianity says we are made in the image of God by God. Our purpose is to worship and serve Him. Our morality grows out of the nature of God. And our destiny... Jesus' resurrection opened the door for us to choose. Jesus is the answer to these questions and the entire Bible points to Jesus the person. You can believe this is truth. Jesus happened. Jesus is who he says he is. Peter says, you can believe it because I witnessed it. And so did at least 500 other people, this resurrection of Jesus. If you're familiar with the work of Lee Strobel in The Case for Christ, he points out that why would Peter die for something that he knew to be a lie? He wouldn't. And so we can take... Heart and Peter's testimony, eyewitness testimony, that Jesus lived, Jesus was crucified, and Jesus was raised from the dead. Another piece of disinformation this assertion that all religions teach the universal fatherhood of God. Basically, we're worshiping a God. What does it matter? Here's more truth. Buddhists say there is no God. Atheists, there there is no God. Hindu, you climb to God only to discover that there's no difference between you and he and that morality is evolving as you evolve. Imagine three blind men feeling an elephant. And attempting to describe it.
0: Would each explanation be valid? Would each have an element of truth to it? I think so. But it doesn't make it truth. The fact is, God revealed himself to us, we can see the elephant. The sum
1: of the revelation is Jesus Christ. Jesus was revealed at the beginning, in the middle, and he will be again in the end. Jesus said in Revelation 1, verses 17 through 18, to paraphrase, I am the first and the last. This doesn't mean that others aren't seeking truth. And maybe this is where we get off track when we try to teach Jesus.
0: We need to keep that in mind.
1: Here's truth in practice. Living kind moral lives is important. But no matter how we live, we cannot meet God's morality or His character. The world that is often... The word that is often translated to sin means missing the mark. And the mark is God's character. We miss the mark, no matter how good we think our lives are. Apart from God, we cannot even know what is right, let alone live the right way. The Bible teaches that anyone in heaven is there because of God's grace. It's nothing to do with our righteousness or how we lived. You can reject that grace and still be considered a good person. But are you
0: saved? God's revelation
1: is redemption, righteousness, and worship. Redemption leads to righteousness, which requires worship. It demands it. It should be expected. If I try to work my way to God, I'm saying that I did not need to be redeemed by God. In essence, I'm my own redeemer. I actually heard a young man say that on an airplane one day, and it shook me to the core. We can't use other sin to measure our righteousness either, or to redeem ourselves. There were once two brothers, and they lived these terribly scandalous lives. And one of the brothers died. So he was thinking about the funeral, and he went to a preacher, and he asked him to do this funeral, and he says... I really need you to paint my brother as a saint. How can, you, how can you say bad things at a guy's funeral, right? And so the preacher realized the challenge he faced, and he came up with a solution. And so at the funeral, he said of the deceased, he said, This man was a liar, a thief, and a drunk, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. can't compare ourselves to others to try to justify ourselves. I can't take an approach to righteousness by saying, well, if Hitler could be redeemed, I should be absolutely safe because there's no way I'm that bad. You know, if you remember a mass murderer named Jeffrey Dahmer, he could say, hey, I must be okay because I didn't kill nearly as many people as Adolf Hitler did. There's another mass murderer, David Berkowitz. He could say, hey, I'm not as bad as Dahmer.
0: I didn't eat my victims.
1: Just exactly how good is good enough? We can't take the approach that I've lived a good life,
0: so I don't need God.
1: Berkowitz is said to have repented in prison and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and was baptized into Christ. So it sort of begs the question, did he get off scot-free? Where's the justice in that? Take a look at the parable. We're not going to read the parable, but this is hitting the points in the parable in Matthew chapter 20, and verses 1 through 16. This parable of the workers, where... The employer comes into the marketplace or in the city in the morning at the gates, and he, he's there early in the morning at dawn, and people respond to the call. Then we learn that later he comes back, he doesn't have enough, and he comes and he finds more at 9 in the morning. And then noon, 3 in the afternoon, and then 5 in the afternoon. And we find that the person that had been there from the get-go is upset when the owner of the, the fields pays everybody a full day's wage. Berkowitz was that guy that came at five in the afternoon and was still paid that full day's wage. My point here is that our response to God's gift of grace is the key to righteousness. It doesn't matter when that opportunity presents itself. Berkowitz undoubtedly lived With the pain of his deeds, how many times have we suffered about the things that we know we've done wrong?
0: Let's get to a conclusion. Now, Jay alluded to this
1: very thing this morning in his lesson. We can't use our upbringing as an excuse. Acts 17, verses 26 through 28 here. Paul points out to the Greeks that God has given us a natural tendency to seek Him. In Romans chapter 1, 19 through 23, it's reinforced. Paul states it again in a different way, that God has created a natural curiosity for him. Finally, one of my favorites... And I refer to a lot in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. Solomon says he's set eternity in our hearts. That we would seek him, that we would have this natural, natural curiosity, we'd have this hole that needed filling. See, God's within our reach if we seek him, no matter what we've done are who we are. God has revealed himself, himself to us in so many ways. He made it even more personal when he sent his only son to testify to the truth. And if we reject him, we're lost. It's really that simple. The truth is that hell is the absence of heaven. We condemn ourselves to hell by not responding to God's grace. God doesn't determine your fate. You do. But God rather
0: judges fairly.
1: Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, to surrender our will in favor of his. This could make other religions more palatable. People often know right from wrong, but it's the will we often lack. Or it's our own stubborn will that we choose to serve. If we surrender to Jesus, he will change our focus. John 14, 18 through 19. Again, to paraphrase, because I live, you live. It's not so much good or evil that we're choosing. It's death or life. That's the choice.
0: Let me read my response
1: that I sent to Amy. I applaud as assaulted who complained that they were offended by what they heard at a Christian funeral. This person clearly has been seeking to be a moral person. That's highly admirable. But I have to ask, where does their moral authority come from? How can one person demand that another person speak in a certain way and not be guilty of the same intolerance that they believe they speak against? Jesus said that he was the Son of God, ultimately God in the flesh. It was Jesus who said that no one can come to the Father but through me. Admittedly, many Christians will speak these words as if they're their own. Pointedly, many people will hear it that way, even if it's not how the message was presented. I have often said that when anyone other than Jesus Christ says that they know who's going to heaven, they're misguided. But that's my opinion. God keeps his promises. That's a fact. I agree that Christians making judgments as to who goes to heaven is expressing an opinion. Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 says, Judging another is a sin. But I often say that this matter is above Our pay grade. But by pointing to Jesus' words and letting those words speak, one is simply stating fact. Jesus is an historical fact. He lived. Jesus said he was God. No other religious leader made that claim. So either Jesus was a madman and a liar, or he was speaking the truth. There's no in-between. There's no room for dumbing down the claim or the message. I will be guided by Jesus' words. And among those words were instructions to spread the good news. Jesus said everyone is invited to accept his free gift of salvation. That means anyone can go to heaven. But he also points out, that not everyone will. To fail to share this message, that all men are called to Jesus with everyone that we can, it would be counter to Jesus' message. It would be indifferent and counter to what Jesus called the church to do. It would be akin to excluding those who we ourselves decide aren't fit. It would, in fact, be intolerant. What's just as bad as not being allowed to share these words are someone seeking silence to those who do. You can accept or or reject Jesus' words, but to deny deny a person the right to proclaim them is by nature exclusionary and intolerant. How could I stand before you and say that because I refused to help a drowning person even though I was able... That I was justified by tolerance and the human reasoning that we should live and let die. I believe that Jesus' words are words that lead to eternal life. Shouldn't I want to do my best to share them with all? You can mock me, scoff at me, call me a lunatic, or simply disagree. But how can you demand that I stop speaking simple words? How would I be received if I went to a mosque and demanded that they teach my self-appointed moral authority? Would this same person judge my act as righteous? Truth by nature is exclusionary because anything counter to it is false. We should all seek the truth. And when we find it, we should endeavor to make it all available to everyone. Jesus said eternal life comes through him. He also said to reject this is to accept eternal death. It's your choice, and that choice is not hindered by anyone else's words. Last thought. One more time. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter's words. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. leave the lesson with you tonight. We have this opportunity now to extend an invitation to those that maybe have not made that choice, have not determined their destiny have not confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. Give you that opportunity to come and make that proclamation before the congregation this evening if you've been convicted to do so. The baptistry full of water, people able to help. If you've struggled, if you've had doubts, you've lost your way and you need prayers, Take this time also to come forward as we stand and as we sing.